Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. So happy to be with you again this week. We are continuing our conversation on St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And we're discussing today, Francis and I, this Hidden with Christ in God, a chapter from the book by Margaret Rowe entitled simply God is Love. Let me welcome my co-host in the studio today. Francis, how are you? I'm so blessed to be here with you, Mark, and I'm thrilled that we're learning so much from Teresa Margaret that we can apply to our lives, and let's see what we're going to learn today. I think we're going to learn a lot. I wanted to preempt our conversation today by reminding our audience that when you and I came back into the studio, one of the agreements that we had was we were really going to delve into the meat of the spiritual journey, and we weren't going to sort of uh, attempt in any way to soften or, um, you know, shadow or uh, um, sugarcoat <laughs> right. uh, the, the, the reality of the depth of the spiritual journey for those who really genuinely want to pursue uh, spiritual marriage and divine union with our Lord, two of the terms that are used to describe the intimacy that we are called to with our Lord in this life. And so we're going to hear today some of the very genuine uh, details related to that experience. And it's a special day because July the 15th, when we are uh, going on this program, um, is Teresa Margaret Reddy's birthday. Her actual birthday. Yeah, her feast yeah. day is September 1, but her actual birthday is today. And I want to shout out to my older sister, whose name is Anna May, and who um, has her birthday today. So they are kindred spirits, and I just think that's a special grace. <laughs> so I guess we're ready for our opening prayer then. Please. <laughs> okay. These, um, this prayer is actually taken from part of St. Teresa Margaret's act of oblation. Uh, and we haven't ever done the, the whole act of oblation. We may do that at some point in time. But this is just the first part. So let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My God, I desire nothing save to become your perfect image. And since yours was a hidden life of humiliation, love, and sacrifice, so also I wish mine to be. I desire to enclose myself henceforth within your most loving heart, as in a desert, so that I may live in you, and with you, and for you, this hidden life of love and sacrifice. O oh my Lord, you know my great desire to become a victim of your sacred heart, holy, consumed by the fire of your holy love. May your heart be the altar upon which my holocaust shall be made, and you be the priest who will consume this victim by the flames of your burning love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Uh, a reminder, I guess, for our listeners or for those who may not have uh, had the opportunity to tune in to our last uh, broadcast at the end of that conversation, uh, Therese Margaret had fully expressed her interior desire to be a victim of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, Actually, in her own words to Christ, she wished to become, and I'm quoting now, fully consumed by the fire of your holy love. May your heart, she prayed, be the altar upon which my holocaust be made, and you be the priest who will consume this victim by the flames of your burning love. Well, honestly, 
I hope this is genuinely the prayer that we all pray one day from our own hearts. And it is the prayer that we open this program with. So you can play just the beginning over and over <laughs> if you want. But anyway, you know, seriously, we must practice all these individual devotions that we've spoken about over the last many weeks in order to sufficiently dispose our hearts to the work of holiness. But these words are the very words of desire for sanctification. This is what it sounds like, and this is a saint praying, you know. So here, Teresa Margaret is asking the Lord to consummate their union and to make it permanent. Now, I know, Francis, uh, we both had our own desires, and I just sort of broached this as we began our conversation today, uh, that were related to our returning to the studio and begin these broadcasts again. One of those was that we agreed um, that we wanted to invite our listeners to hear the words of those saints, our beloved saints in Carmel, who had truly allowed themselves to become victims of divine love and to express to us whatever they could about that experience, the real uh, sort of uh, a deep interior element of that experience. It was also our intention, as you'll recall, not to hold back on sharing with our listeners the measure of sacrifice the Lord may ask of those who truly desire to be raised to divine union with him. And that's a question I think all of us have to face, uh, looking ourselves in the mirror, if you will. Do we really want to be saints? Do we want to be drawn in divine, into divine union? The Lord will put us in circumstances that will force us uh, to wrestle with that question because not because he needs to know, he already knows the answer. He needs us to know whether we are really committed. And if there are times that we pursue it and we're not fully disposed or aren't adequately prepared, he'll lighten the burden, he'll let us step back, but he'll have given us a, a little bit of a revelation as to what it is that's really required. And so often it's we think that we can do it, you know, to honor God, whereas really we, we do not have the capacity to get there we can only do so much and then after that we have to just really relinquish it all and let god take over until he is um, totally in charge and that's the important part and i really think that it's important for people who are pursuing holiness really learn to understand how the saints embraced loved suffering and um, that is something that i pondered for many years and uh, I don't know that uh, I've come to any uh, conclusion. Uh, I think there's so much more to learn, so I haven't closed the door well, on that. Importantly, we're going to talk a little bit about suffering and a deeper understanding of where that suffering is. You know, again, you and I have had this conversation so many times. There's an, in, I guess, a, a, a misunderstanding and an inclination on the part of many who are in the spiritual life to sort of see everything in their life every time they have to endure a trial. Oh, well, this must be, you know, purification. This must be, you know, an assault by the devil. This must be some dramatic event. Well, sometimes, sometimes it's just that we're off course. Sometimes we need to have a little correction. Sometimes, you know, we've just made bad decisions. But what we're going to read about, what we're going to hear about today is somebody who is very much on course and still suffers immensely um, and uh, is going to reveal to us the meaning behind that suffering. Well, here in the words of Teresa Margaret Reddy, we see again the trials of a soul whose only desire is to love God and to try to respond to that love, positively respond. Inevitably, it leads us to experience our complete inadequacy at trying to make ourselves holy. 
So it's at this stage of the spiritual journey that we truly come to understand the central meaning of what St. John of the Cross refers to as the dark night. And it's here that we come to fully understand one of the greatest trials the human soul must go through in the process of total transformation and love. And it's when we come to understand the depth of God's love for us and conversely our inability to return that love. That, and it's in that moment that we face the moment of confusion or desperation, and some may even uh, begin to what we think despair, although we know they turn to the mercy of God. I have to put that in there. <laughs> yeah. You see, it's at that point that we realize we're not what God created us to be. He created us to be mirror images of the one in whose image we were created. We were made, his son, Jesus Christ, the very image of total love. When we finally come to this experience of our own incompleteness as human persons, we will indeed face a trial. Here is Teresa Margaret's reaction to this discovery of her own incompleteness. Francis, I'd ask you to read that section, actually. But how confused I am, my God, when I see what a worthless victim I am, and how unfitting is this sacrifice I ask you to accept. Yet I am confident that all will be accomplished by the fire of divine love. A reminder, this is a saint. We're talking about a saint, somebody who lived only 22 years and five months. She didn't have a lot of time to get off course, <laughs> but yet she sees her own inadequacy. It's in this very moment, in fact, that we will discover the only solution to this problem is to turn to the Lord and abandon ourselves to him completely and thereby allow him to finish the work in us that only he can do. Again, in the words of Teresa Margaret, it would sound something like this. From myself, nothing. From God, everything. Well, Margaret wrote in her book entitled God is Love, which is the source that we've been using for much of this series, she draws a comparison to the word of a much more recent saint, and one who many of our listeners are no doubt familiar with, but one who nonetheless seems to echo the words of St. Teresa Margaret. And these are the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, reflecting on this same process of transformation and love and the need of the soul to cast itself into this living flame of love. St. Therese says, When one casts oneself headlong into the furnace of divine love, how can one fail to be consumed? Always love knows how to make the best of everything. Whatever offends our Lord is burnt up in its fire, and nothing is left but a humble, absorbing peace deep down in the heart. Now we have to ask ourselves, listeners, is this an encounter with the Lord that we too would like to experience? Do we desire to enter into a place where we abide in an absorbing peace? deep down in the center of our hearts, one that will confirm us in tranquility, in repose, even joy, although not joy the way that we typically understand that word, not in a worldly way. This joy stems quite simply from the realization that we in our very nature are fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. It's nothing less than that. We come to understand and recognize that yes, even with our feelings, even with our faults, we are fulfilling the purpose for which we were created and by the one who created us. We are fulfilling God's will. That is what makes all of the struggle so very much worth the effort. In the words of both Teresa Margaret and St. Therese of Lisieux, this demands 
of us our own act of oblation. Both of them wrote one, a sacrifice of everything that might otherwise impede the work the Lord so very much wants to do in our souls. In the insightful words of Margaret Rowe, St. Teresa Margaret's spirituality has moved from a process of detachment and self-effacement to one of imitation, an imitation of the image of which she, like all of us, was created, and that would be the image of Jesus Christ. But this is not yet the glorified Christ. This is, this is not the triumphant Christ that will come later. Our spiritual journey moves through a series of steps um, throughout our life. Yeah, we almost have to begin with conversion. That's usually a first step. Even if you're a lifetime a Christian, a Catholic, somebody who's had a genuine uh, spiritual um, devotion uh, from a young age, even in the life of Teresa Margaret, we recall the conversion from an attempt to make herself holy, which she had done uh, d d with some measure of success before she entered the convent. But early on in her entry uh, to the convent, the, the mother prioress had to instruct her that this was not the path uh, ultimately to holiness. So we begin with conversion, a genuine desire to turn away from our former life whose ends are primarily associated with the world. Teresa Margaret spent relatively little time in this phase of the journey in her short life. The second is the process of sanctification. Here there are about two stages, as St. John of the Cross would describe them. There's the first, active stage where we must dispose ourselves both in sense and in spirit and then there are the passive stages of both sense and spirit where only God can do the work of withdrawing us from ourselves. It is in this stage of the process, this sanctification, whether in sense or spirit, that we must go through what St. Teresa Margaret experienced in trying to do all that she could to make herself holy. It is necessary, Francis, we would agree. It's just not sufficient. Right, and, and I might add, though, that this is uh, that middle stage of, of the three prongs of the, the beginning and the middle and the end. This is the middle. So she is opening up to the Lord. She is experiencing uh, an infused contemplative uh, prayer where the Lord is coming in, uh, but he hasn't taken over. Okay, right. so uh, she is opening up. So it's not like it's just her own efforts here. Yeah, she, Where, she's in that transition. You're absolutely right. Right. So, and that leads us to the the next stage. Yeah. Finally, we we will come to realize that we can never complete the work ourselves, and so we are left with this process of imitation, simply doing all we can to live the hidden life of Christ within ourselves. Doesn't that remind you of that famous book, The Imitation of Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Just a great classic. A wonderful book, Thomas Akempis. For those who haven't read it, it's it's you know, sort of prerequisite. Uh, I think all of us are going to be asked at the gate whether we've read that book. <laughs> Required reading. Yeah. And it is in doing this, this imitation of Christ within ourselves, that we will, in fact, allow Christ and the Holy Spirit, our sanctifier, the room to work within our soul, to root out the last vestiges of what I call selfness. Not selfishness, but selfness. And it's not that this is fundamentally wrong. In a worldly sense, we, are, um, we must be who we are. We must be ourselves. But what at this stage of the spiritual journey we're being asked to do is to have that selfness perfected, purified, 
This isn't about eradication. It's not about elimination or destruction or removal so much, even though we'll use those words. But it is about purification. It is about lifting the selfness within us into the state which it was always called to be, which is uh, so counter to the complete process of transformation. Selfness is counter to this process of transformation. Therefore, it has to be purified. It has to be lifted up. Well, and as this process relates to the practice of private prayer, it might be helpful to describe it this way. Well, we all begin a serious journey of prayer. Um, we ask the Lord to provide us with what it is we think we need to assist us in becoming holy. And then again, at this point of the journey, we're, we are still laboring under the mistaken impression that holiness is a result of our effort on our part and so we ask the Lord to assist us in our efforts. So this is, you know, at the beginning, where uh, things that we can do uh, are very predominant, uh, where we are in charge, <laughs> and we really got to learn to surrender and let God become in charge. So that it, leads it, to the next phase. Yeah, in the next phase, we begin to get some inkling that we cannot do this ourselves. We're still going to try. Don't don't misunderstand. But we'll begin to ask the Lord what it is he would like us to do. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Francis is laughing because I've been praying that prayer myself recently. Um, but, I thought but, you were praying, but I will be done, Mark. I'm working on that okay. one. <laughs> You're giving away the next stage. Uh, but, but, but we do. We pray, Lord, I'm sure there's a task. I'm sure there's a mission. I'm sure there's something you want me to do. But you see, we're still in the center of that. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. There's nothing... Um, you know, fundamentally uh, um, displeasing to the Lord that we would want to know what he wants us to do. And it's but progressing. It, 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 it is, is progressing, but it is still us. It is still, what do you want me yeah, to do? We're not totally surrendered yet. We do genuinely want him to direct us and to give us the instructions that we need to continue in the next step of the journey. But recognize, as I said, we're still in the lead. We're still taking charge. So the final phrase um, where you say, thy will be done. This is our prayer becomes something like this. Here I am, Lord. I come to do your will. In other words, we must come to that final realization that it's first God's will to do this work in us more than it is our own desire to do it. We come to understand that only God can complete this work of sanctification and purification. It is his will that we must seek and not our own. Here's the way St. Uh, Teresa Margaret expresses this discovery on her own part. My God, how well you know my great need of your help. I trust in your infinite mercy, and I shall always do so, regardless of the spiritual state in which I find myself. Always and everywhere I shall endeavor to recognize your will in all things, even though my eyes see only contradiction and uncertainty. I know that I cannot depend upon myself, and so I shall trust completely in you. Nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ, for in you, O Lord, I have hoped. I shall never be confounded. Now, it's true that this devotion of the imitation of the Sacred Heart of Jesus must inevitably lead, as it did for him, to our complete sacrifice on Calvary, whatever our Calvary happens to be. And this is a spiritual Calvary. We're yes. not saying go out and yes. get crucified, right? Okay. But, but it would draw us into complete tranquility of knowing that through our renunciation of our own will, we had fully put on Christ 
and will have begun to live his will alone, no matter what the external circumstances might be. Again, here's the way Teresa Margaret described this stage of the process. In all things I shall be content, knowing that the route I travel leads to Calvary. The thornier the path, the heavier the cross, the more consoled I shall be, because I desire to love you with a suffering love, selfless love, an active love, with a firm, undivided, persevering love. I have promised you many things, she writes, but in no wise do I depend upon my own indolent spirit. You have enlightened me as to what I must do. Now help me to execute it. All this I hope of your infinite mercy. Well, at this stage, I want to remind our listeners of something we said in the very first broadcast, Francis, and that is Teresa... Margaret Reddy is a great example for us in uh, large measure because of the fact that following this act of oblation and having been raised to what we'll discover in a moment is the stage of betrothal, she didn't have a series of mystical experiences. She wasn't given visions and ecstasies and, and the locutions. the love, so yeah, to speak. All, all constant uh, uh, affirmations uh, that were resonant in the life of Teresa of Avila and to some measure Therese of Lisieux. This saint didn't have those, and for many of us, perhaps, we don't experience those on a consistent basis, but yet she's going to be, as we'll discover in later today and in, in, in a future conversation, nonetheless raised into spiritual marriage. Following this act of uh, oblation, she did not have these experiences, such as it, we just said uh, was true for uh, others who were in this high state of transforming love. According again to Margaret Rowe, St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart of Jesus is left to fulfill her commitment to hiddenness and to living out her intimate spiritual state only in the deepest interior of her heart. So she remains hidden. Yeah. I, what, let's do that one last bit, and then I, uh, we'll go ahead and... Uh, or maybe this would be a good time to break. All right. Yeah, All right. I think it's a good time to break. Where are we? Yeah. All right. Let's take our break, uh, and then we will come back, and we'll pick up this theme of uh, the phases of the spiritual journey using uh, specifically Carmelite language in that regard. A reminder, you are listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. We're now back with the show, Carmelite Conversations with Mark Daniels and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, and we're going to continue our discussion on St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart, using as our resource the book called God is Love. Now, St. Teresa Margaret is about to enter that final phase of the spiritual journey. It won't happen today, Francis, because we need to sort of set the table so people will listen to the next broadcast, right? Right, we're going to talk about that Dark night. <laughs> yeah, we've got to get through that. This is the one St. John of the Cross referred to as the night of the spirit. Uh, it's where the final perfecting of the soul will take place and where it will be drawn into the encounter with the transforming fire of love. Here's how St. John of the Cross describes it. When it is so far transformed and perfected interiorly in the fire of love, the soul is not only united with this fire, but it has now become one living flame within it. And of course, that's from the living flame. And see, St. Teresa of Avila, writing in the sixth mansion of the interior castle, simply describes it this way. The soul has been wounded with love for the spouse. 
and seeks more opportunity of being alone, trying so far as is possible to one in its state to renounce everything which can disturb it in its solitude. Soon after this uh, even more serious commitment to imitating the life of Christ, which St. Teresa Margaret made, she approached her spiritual director, Father Ildefonse, to ask his permission to do this, to imitate the life of Christ. He immediately assumed, mistakenly, that she was actually referring only to the external aspects of imitating Christ, things like detachment and uh, mortification and so forth. It was soon after, however, when she came to speak to him again on the matter, that he came to understand what she really intended. Teresa Margaret explained to him that at this particular stage of the spiritual journey, she no longer had any attachment to exterior material things. In other words, that had been burned out of her already. She didn't need to mortify. She didn't need to detach. At this point, she explained to her spiritual director, she was exclusively absorbed in the glory of God and the salvation of souls. And this is the other aspect of the progression of our spiritual journey. We are always reminded of the words of St. Teresa Bavla when she was speaking to her sisters in a convent. She said something like, well, we have not come to Carmel to build little heavenly nest for ourselves. We are here to sacrifice ourselves for priests and for the salvation of souls. Now, just to make sure we are clear on the Carmelite terminology that's used to describe this particular stage of the spiritual journey, this is what is referred to as the betrothal. It's what I would say in a contemporary language was engagement. Yeah. Okay? So remember that St. Teresa of Avila's very helpful use of the Spanish courtship language was being uh, used here. So here we are in the betrothal stage, which, of course, precedes the actual consummation of union, which we would call the spiritual marriage. And so St. John the Cross also describes this stage with great clarity in these words. That which is here communicated is the most that is possible in the estate of betrothal, for in the spiritual marriage its profit is much greater. In the betrothal, although in the visits of the spouse, these are, in my words, merely interior, not visions, uh, but, but nonetheless interior, the visits of the spouse, the bride's soul enjoys great blessings. She nevertheless suffers from his absences and from per perturbation and disturbances coming from her lower part and from the devil, all of which uh, things cease in the state of marriage. So Teresa Margaret would actually spend the last two years of her life in this stage of betrothal just before the final stage of spiritual marriage, which she does enter into. Right, and we right. will talk about that. It's a, it, it's actually probably our last broadcast on Teresa Margaret. Right. But, um, Don't you want to know what it's all about? <laughs> we want to hear the fruit, yeah. <laughs> the good stuff. Do you recall, I'm trying to remember now because I was studying this the other day, Francis, how long uh, Teresa Avila spent in the sixth mansion? I think it, it was, was like, more than two years. I think years. it was like 11 years. Yeah, or, it was it, a, it was long, a long, time. long time. Now, in fairness, she had a lot more, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, in terms of obligations, responsibilities, and so forth that the plus, Lord was drawing her into. Plus, she had the obligation to teach us. I mean, right. That's what right. the Lord wanted to do. And so uh, in the interior castle, the sixth mansion, she writes 11 chapters on that mansion, yeah. more than any of the others. Yeah. So. She writes, in fact, at one point, I think Ralph Martin says this about Teresa saying, uh, uh, writing happily that, you know, some of the nuns in her uh, convent, the sisters in her convent, 
uh, were being raised to these light uh, uh, levels of intimacy with the Lord um, in very short periods of time. And you can almost hear in her uh, explanation of it a little bit of, you know, <laughs> what <laughs> about me, up, Lord? Yeah. <laughs> why, me why don't I get uh, drawn into that? Of course, as you say, she had a lot more work to do. Right, well, it's in this <laughs> stage that Teresa Margaret had come to fully understand the process of sanctification and transformation. Here, actually, in the words of Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, in his work, From the Sacred Heart to the Trinity, which we've also been using, at the foot of the cross, suffering becomes more proof of love than a punishment. St. Teresa Margaret became a saint not through multiplying penitential exercise. Remember, she attempted to do that early on. But again, in the words of uh, Father uh, Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, but by having effected an uninterrupted adhesion of her will to the crucified Redeemer. I like that explanation, yes. an adhesion uh, to his will. That's something to ponder. Well, I know this is kind of hard language for many of us to come to terms with, but you know we must understand that this process of suffering for us, just as it was for Christ, is not about punishment. It's not about our taking on profound penances that we hope will demonstrate our love for the Lord. Instead, it is the desire we have. In the words of St. Teresa Margaret, to return love for love. So it's all about love. It's the realization that we cannot of ourselves do this. And it is the pain of the absence of the presence of the beloved. This is the process that purifies our soul to its deepest center. In the end, the victory of suffering is the victory we achieve over self-love. And we should spend just a moment on this, Francis, because I think it's so important for our listeners to understand. You know, people hear about things like purification and, and sanctification even and, and, and pain and suffering, and they equate these to, oh, it's a penalty, it's a, it's a, a negative thing, oh, if I hadn't messed up so much in life, then I wouldn't have to go through this. Well, that's not exactly the case. The truth of the matter is what's happening here is the purification of our love. Now it is true there are impurities, otherwise there wouldn't be the work of purification, but it isn't a penalty, it isn't a punishment. What God is trying to do is impart himself to us. In other words, where there is uh, total light, God, imposed on elements of darkness, there's going to be a shunting away from that light. It's natural, as we've described in the past. You know, you walk out in the snow of the winter with a bright sun and your eyes are, are for a few moments uh, uh, forced to sort of flinch and draw back until the pupils close uh, sufficiently to allow that light to come in at a, at a brightness that you can accept. That's what's happening here. There's nothing painful in God. There's nothing destructive in God. There's nothing intended uh, to minimize us in this process. It is all elevation. It's all grace. But we are so stilted. We're, we're twisted in ways that uh, force uh, this uh, experience to be, for us, a bit painful. Well, we're reminded here also of those words from St. Teresa Margaret from her act of oblation where she wrote, My Jesus, I will be yours no matter what the cost. I'm determined to belong to you despite all repugnances. Well, here also in her own words, we hear the desire and the devotion to be completely united with the Lord, regardless of the circumstances of her individual life. She says, it matters little whether my life is happy or not, provided I correspond with my vocation. 
And that's the same vocation we all have, the vocation to love. With joy, I abandon my heart as a prey, and using the very same words as St. Elizabeth of Trinity, to affliction, to sadness, to trials. I enjoy not to enjoy, for a fast must precede a feast, and to fast from mere earthly pleasures will render more joyous the great banquet of eternity. I do not take away joy from my heart, I merely postpone it until that happy time when the fear of losing it being removed, I will be doubly joyous. A double portion, I have to say. Hmm. I desire nothing but the grace to continue desiring nothing. The door to my heart must remain barred against earthly consolation if I would taste those of heaven. Now, again, uh, we realize this probably sounds a bit shocking to the modern ear, and so, as always, as good Carmelites, Francis, we need to find support for this in Scripture. Well, actually, we do. In Christ's own words, we read from Matthew 16:25, For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What, what is being described here, listeners, is this process not of, uh, you know, we can sort of misperceive uh, Teresa Margaret's words as a, um, oh, I'm just saving up all my glory for heaven. I'll suffer and I'll take on all these burdens now because uh, then my, my glory in heaven will be that much greater. That's not what she's saying. Remember what she said earlier. It is in this uh, disposition of her heart that she abides in tranquility, in peace, even joy. This is where it's found in this life. If we want that peace and joy and tranquility, which is our promise right from the words of Christ himself, then this is the process for entering into it while we are still in this life. This is what she's describing. Yes, she acknowledges uh, that the glory to be revealed within us will be greater. We are being transformed from glory to glory, St. Paul says. And we will not know that until we reach full beatitude. But even in this life, what we're invited to is peace and abiding peace, tranquility, and a intimacy and joy in knowing that we're fulfilling the Lord's will for our life. Now, of course, if this experience is nothing but trial and pain, it's hardly likely that many of us would actively pursue this state in our own lives. But Father Ildefonse, her spiritual director, makes clear that this period of purification is not without its own fruits and benefits for the soul. And in his own words, we hear... One of its fruits is the peace that is enjoyed even in trial and suffering, which surpasses all natural enjoyment, or rather it is of an entirely different order. Father Ildefonse goes on, When one is firmly established in this state, nothing can disturb the depth of the soul. Now that sounds rather pleasant, doesn't it, Francis, for most of us, I think. Although the surface may be ruffled from time to time, he says, not the faults and failing we fall into through forgetfulness and frailty, so long as we are humbly sorry for them and renew again immediately the disposition of entire conformity to the divine will. Above all, you must remember, he writes, that the repugnance of sensitive nature which you experience does not detract from the perfection of the disposition, although it does add considerably to the suffering and seeming conflict that it imposes. So here we seem to get a bit further clarification on St. Teresa Margaret's use of that word repugnance. Apparently what she experienced as repugnance was the realization of her own forgetfulness or frailty or faults. 
and this is certainly true for all the saints. It is their recognition of their own brokenness and their woundedness that causes them to undergo distress and at times border on despair. But like St. Teresa and Margaret, they do not actually despair because they fall back continually on the mercy of the Lord. So it's these very repugnances that continually remind us of our need to die to self. Whatever within us is opposed to God must be removed. It must be allowed to die. But at the same time, we must understand that it's not we ourselves who are dying, but only those elements of our nature that have been tainted, darkened, and twisted by sin. Yeah, uh, this idea of repugnance is in looking at our own condition. It would be like the person who maybe uh, sustained a significant injury and now there's a wound and the wound becomes infected and, uh, you know, it's not a very attractive uh, um, um, thing on our person to witness ourselves um, bearing this infection. That's the repugnance. The repugnance is not the external thing that happened to me, the criticism, the abuse, the rejection. That, again, so often is misperceived as what we experience as the repugnance. It isn't that. It's the sight of our own condition before yeah, the Lord. And this is, things are interior here um, <laughs> rather than exterior. I think in the dark night of sense, uh, just as we say the word senses, it's outward. But when we go into the spiritual, it's inside, it's interior. Well, indeed, Father Ildefonse, her spiritual director for the final phase of her life, spoke after her death that he needed to remind her of this true meaning of the words of St. Paul. You are dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God. He would you know, explain to St. Teresa Margaret that this did not mean the destruction of self, like Mark pointed out, but of our need to abdicate sovereignty to the Lord and to allow him to remove the last vestiges of any impurities associated with our love. This detachment or emptying, or to use a more common theological term, annihilation, is about the genuine destruction of anything within us that is not entirely conformed to the will of God. Margaret Rowe uses the perfect scripture verse, I think, that helps us understand this idea, Francis, when she quotes St. John the Baptist, where he says, I must decrease, he must increase. Well, I think at this point, what we'd like to do to conclude our program, uh, drawing quite heavily on Margaret Rowe's book, because she did a wonderful job outlining an exchange between uh, St. Teresa Margaret and Father Ildefonse on exactly uh, how she achieved interior recollection, how she was able to quiet herself in prayer. Father Ildefonse uh, makes note of this, and, and so we have his record, which is very helpful for us because these are really literally the words of the saint uh, giving us this deep insight. And so we're going to read a back and forth exchange, Francis, you right. and I as the actor We're going to have actress. the conversation they did, <laughs> exactly. only we're all going to get to hear it. <laughs> so let me begin as Father Ildefonse asking her, how do you succeed in maintaining interior recollection with God during the various duties and distracting occupations you must do? Well, well, that's quite simple. External occupations merely serve as a further means of raising the mind to God. They furnish constantly new motives for loving Him and ever more desiring Him and seeking Him in others. But you tell me that often you are obliged to forgo the regular hours of prayer and your leisure time is almost negligible. Well, Father, I'm continually overwhelmed and, and filled with praise and wonder at the infinite wisdom and goodness of our God. 
when I see how he permits himself to dwell in souls, which are so often distraught and engrossed in material occupations, I marvel. And yet, I often become more aware of his presence in the midst of such duties than during the time of prayer itself. Yes. No, this is oh, yours. Yes, when one, when one has acquired the true spirit, we had to turn a page, sorry. Yes, when one has acquired the true spirit of prayer, it is certain that the work is a prayer so long as one remains united to God. Still, it is not always easy when the work is absorbing, requiring all one's attention and concentration. Well, it seems to me that it is here, the text, inasmuch as you did it to one of my least brethren, you did it to me, applies. For I have always regarded the service of the sick in that way, and I am always conscious of his presence when I am working among them. God is not tied by sp time or space. We are doing his will as perfectly when obedience keeps us at tasks which we find irksome. For me, it suffices to work in silence as our rule commands, because then all things will help to unite us to God. It is enough to keep the outer doors closed, for then the heart and soul have no other place to go than into their center where God is to be found. And he is the beginning of all of our work, so he is its end. And with his aid, we accomplish it quickly and well, so that he is also the way. Now, stepping out of character for a moment, Francis, I want to just emphasize for our listeners, this next section I think is very important because so many of us struggle with what it is that Father Ildefonse is about to ask our future saint, future uh, at that time, uh, regarding uh, various devotions, in the words of Father Ildefonse. Then you do not regret that you no longer have the leisure to spend much time to, in visits to the Blessed Sacrament or at other devotions such as the Rosary or the Stations of the Cross? Oh, Father, you just said that God is not tied. How great are the gifts which we continually receive from Him. We swim like little fish in the ocean of His mercy. We can make Him no suitable return. We have nothing that we have not already received from Him. That being so, we are perpetually in debt, and that knowledge leads us back to the pure, generous beneficence of our God. So it is just as easy, or even easier, for you to remain recollected in the presence of God than be distracted and concentrated on mundane things? If you put it like that, I suppose so. But I think of it rather as two people, let's say two sisters, who love each other dearly. Although they are constantly thrown into the closest companionship, they will never find such ubiquity distasteful. But rather, in their mutual affection, they will draw help and strength for their external occupations. It seems to me that living in the presence of God is as simple as that. Just as someone who loves a person often recalls that person to mind, so too we must constantly recall to mind that God is present and always working for our greater good and that we all that we have to do is to return love of love. Our whole exercise and obligation is in loving alone. Well, I hope that was helpful. I found it very instructive to read that back and forth between a saint and her spiritual director. 
to get some insight on exactly what it was that ostensibly uh, Father Ildefonse documented, and I have no doubt that he did, and was able then to communicate in some form, uh, perhaps at her uh, canonization, and we then draw benefit from it. The words of a saint on how she achieves recollection. It's well worth re-listening, perhaps, to that exchange, or if you don't have a copy, perhaps getting a copy of the book, God is Love, uh, by Margaret Rowe. I think it would be instructive uh, to read that section again and again to get that insight. Well, Francis, I know you want to close us in prayer, and it's associated with a special day coming up for all of us yes. Carmelites tomorrow. Again, reminding, we're, we're in studio here on the 15th of July, and that is... Uh, the day before, a very special day for us. Yes, which is tomorrow, July 16th, is the solemnity for the Order of Carmel of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And so we want to close with the famous prayer, Flos Carmeli. And there are a lot of translations out there of this prayer, um, but I've chosen the one that is in the um, Carmelite breviary. And then I also want to invite you to celebrate uh, this great day with us by uh, turning to Our Lady of Mount Carmel and um, maybe looking online for something related to her that will help boost your spirits. And then also on July 20th is the Solemnity of St. Elijah, the prophet. And so that's a very big day for Carmelites. So. Now, there, there are, of course, a number of novenas available online. It would have been uh, ideal if you haven't uh, been doing one, had you been able to do it for the last nine days, typical novena, um, in, in um, uh, association with us in Carmel, uh, asking for the Blessed Mother's intercession, asking for special graces, asking for a special request that you may have. And that can still be accomplished, actually, Absolutely. this evening, mm -hmm. uh, if you find one. Uh, just read through each of the nine days, commit yourself to the prayers that are associated with that, uh, and and most especially, I would say, attend Mass tomorrow. Yes. Attend Mass in honor of Our Lady, because it is a very special day. And wear the brown scapular. This is Our Lady's garment. It is, it's a sign of devotion to her, and it's a sign of her protection of you. So we, we hope that you will uh, be wearing a brown scapular. All right, here is the prayer of Flos Carmeli. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Flower of Carmel, tall, vine blossom laden, splendor of heaven, child-bearing yet maiden, none equals thee. Mother so tender, who no man didst know, on Carmel's children thy favors bestow, star of the sea. Strong stem of Jesse, who bore one bright flower, be ever near us and guard us each hour, who serve thee here. Purest of lilies that flowers among thorns, bring help to the true heart that in weakness turns and trust in thee. Strongest of armor, we trust in thy might. Under thy mantle, hard pressed in the fight, we call to thee. Our way uncertain, surrounded by foes, unfailing counsel you give to those who turn to thee. O gentle mother, who in Carmel reigns, share with your servants that gladness you gained and now enjoy. Hail, gate of heaven, with glory now crowned, bring us to safety where thy son is found, true joy to see. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Amen. Well, just a quick programming note. I don't know if we've decided entirely, Francis, but in all likelihood, we'll take a quick break away from um, Teresa Margaret, St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart, uh, next week. Um, in anticipation of coming back to her two weeks from now, giving us a little more time for preparation for this last phase of the spiritual journey, the dark night, the night of sense, uh, which is perhaps the most trying um, uh, phase of the journey, but also uh, the one which reveals uh, the most graces and blessings available to us all. So I'll be back next week with a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> which is a surprise to Francis, even, I think, at this point. But we're looking no forward to that. We're looking forward There's to always that. something to talk about in Carmel. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, a reminder, you have been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, I encourage you again, uh, celebrate the feast uh, tomorrow, the solemnity of our mother, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and take an opportunity to draw down blessings and graces for yourself by asking her to intercede in your life. And one more note. You can find archives of our podcast at www.carmeliteconversations.com. And we also have a Facebook page. We like hearing from you. And we thank all of you listeners and all you posters for keeping in touch with us. And we look forward to sharing more. God bless. Until next week, may God be with you.